Home family, I'm so glad everyone's here to worship with us today. Uh, we're continuing our series uh, going through the book of Exodus. This will be our third week, and so if you're fresh and joining us and haven't caught the other two, that's fine. We're still at the beginning of the book, and we'll be in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11 here in a bit if you want to open up your Bibles to it and prepare that. But if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, because it'll be on the screen when we get there. But before we go and dive into God's Word, let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can come before you as your people and listen to you through your Word. Lord, let's pray as we open up your Word that you speak to us, that you show us who you are, that you show us how you work and how uh, you love us and care for us and how you prepare us. Lord, I pray that we can be your people in all the things that we do. I pray that this helps us see the truth of you and our lives in a new light so that we can be yours and live for you in all that we do. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Getting ready can be a chore. I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings when you're trying to hurry out the door and get to church on time and your kids can't find their shoes or all of a sudden you realize you don't have gas in your car and everything seems to go wrong. But getting ready can be a chore. We all know this, that it's a chore, but it's so vital that when you prepare, when you get ready, things go better. When you prepare and get ready for events ahead of times, things go ready. When you are a student and you actually prepare and get ready for a test, chances are it goes better for you. When you are a person looking for a job and you prepare and get ready for that job interview, chances are it's going to go better for you. Every DIYer knows that when you take the time to prepare and get ready for that project, it goes better. You might not have to take five trips to Lowe's. Maybe if you take some time preparing. But it's such a chore, isn't it? To prepare is hard. To get ready can be such a chore because it's so tedious sometimes and it's so unseen. It's all the unnoticed things that go behind actions. And so sometimes we might downplay or we might not think it's that important, but oh, we know it's so important to be prepared, to get ready. And when we approach Exodus chapter 2, I believe what we see is God preparing Moses. God preparing his person and his people for his plan. That God is at work preparing in this story that we approach. And how important that is for what follows. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. As we read together, Exodus chapter 2 starting in verse 11, going to the end of the chapter. It says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his people. And we can stop right there and we can, if you don't know the story of Exodus and the story of Moses, we have heard already about how Pharaoh had decreed that all the boys should die. And so his mom hid him away for three months until she couldn't hide him anymore. She made a little basket for him, an ark, and placed it in the Nile. And uh, Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe and found this child, took pity on this child, and said, I'm going to adopt this child. And then paid Moses' own mom to raise this child until his time. And so now we're picking up the story of of Moses after he has been raised in Pharaoh's household. Now he makes a decision, I'm going to go look upon, as he says, my people. And he says, he went out to look upon the burdens, and he saw this Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Verse 12 says, and he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. 
When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs of water for their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to the father rule, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a soldier in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. because Their call for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God prepares his people for his plan. When we read this chapter, when we read this part of Exodus chapter 2, we can see the story of Moses, how it picks up and what's going on and how things maybe seem to have derailed in his life and things have been kind of taking a sideways turn from what it, where it was going. But when we end the chapter, it's very clear that God was present through it all, that God was active through it all, that God actually was probably using, was using all of these events in Moses' life to prepare him for what was going to come next. And this is not just a truth about Moses, but this is a truth about who God is and how he loves us and how he works in our lives. That God prepares his people for his plan. I think we see this again and again throughout the scriptures and we see it particularly in Moses and we have seen it, I'm betting we have seen it, all seen it in our own lives. That God prepares his people for his plan. So first we see, pick up the story of Moses and we see how he uh, identified with his people. And so we follow a principle uh, when we read the Bible, that especially when we're reading the Old Testament, we read it in light of the new. We know what is coming. We know how stuff is fulfilled. And we know how Jesus fulfilled stuff. And so sometimes when we read the Old Testament, if we're confused or we don't know where it's going, it's helpful to flip to the New Testament and look at passages that shed light on the Old Testament and help us interpret it. And it's so unfortunate for us because we go to two places in the New Testament and we see understanding about who Moses was in this early part of his life. And we can flip to Hebrews 11, uh, verses 24 and 26, and we see uh, this author of Hebrews interpreting what's going on in Moses' life. He says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." And we read that, and we read back to Exodus 2, and I have to admit, it seems like almost a romanticized version of what we just read. That we can almost doubt it. We can say, who is this writer of Hebrews thinking that this is what's going on with Moses? There's no really indication for that. But there is. 
That if now when we read Exodus 2 again with the eyes of how Hebrews helps us see the truth of who Moses is, we see indications about this truth. That God was preparing him and God was using this. And that, God, and that Moses actually made this decision to be identified with his people rather than with Pharaoh and all the luxury that came with that. We also can read in Acts chapter 7, Stephen's speech before he is stoned, and he talks about Moses, and he gives us almost a timeline that this does not get in Exodus 2. And so uh, Acts chapter 7, 20, verse 23, 25 says, And when he was 40 years old, talking about his Moses, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So again, we get an indication of what's going on in Exodus 2 by reading the New Testament, letting it help us interpret what is going on. And we also realize Moses was 40 years old now when he stepped down and said, these are my people. That if you figured that Moses' mom nursed him and took care of him until he was weaned, so maybe a couple years old, and now he was given to Pharaoh as uh, Pharaoh's daughter and raised in a, the Egyptian household for 30-some-odd years. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, identified with the Egyptians. But then he chose and made a conscious decision, I will be one with my people. And that's where the story picks up. And we see this in Exodus chapter 2, these indications that Moses truly made that choice to identify with his people. That Moses chose being a Hebrew over being an Egyptian. He chose his people over the power and luxury that might come from being in Pharaoh's household. And that in reality, he chose to follow God rather than follow the ways of the world and follow Pharaoh. And we see this when even it talks about how he went out. This language of him going out from the Pharaoh's household, he went out almost like he's leaving that behind and he's going out to see his people. He's going out to uh, know his people. And almost it's the same language that's talking about when the, when the Hebrew people leave Egypt entirely in the Exodus, they went out from the land. And so now Moses, in a way, had to go out of Pharaoh's household before he could lead the people out of Egypt himself. And then he looks upon his people. Two times it, Moses describes the Hebrews as his people. He went out to look upon the burdens of his people. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And so you get this strong sense that he identified with the Hebrews. These were his people. These were his blood. These were his kin. And so he was putting them himself in their shoes, wanting to help them. He went out wide to look upon their burdens. This Hebrew word for look upon, this yara, actually does not carry just the connotation of seeing, looking at something, but seeing with emotion. That Moses went and saw with emotion. He saw their plight. He could not help be moved. He, these were his people, and they were being oppressed, and he had to do something about it. And so Moses chose to be associated with his people rather than the Egyptians. He chose the ways of God and God's people rather than the ways of Pharaoh in the world. And when we look at that 
is a call to us as well. That Moses took as his primary identity God's people. These are my people. They are who I am. And we, the same way, even looking back on it, we can say who or what really is what is our primary identity? What primary defines us at our core? There's so many things that we use nowadays to identify ourselves and, and take on an identity for ourselves. Whether it's our social economic background, whether it's our skin color, whether it's where we grew up or where we live, whether it's the job we do, whether it's the clubs we're part of, whether, whatever it is, we take on all of these identities. But what fundamentally is your identity? Are you fundamentally someone who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ and so are God's people? And that determines everything else about you, that all these other identities that are true about you fall into place under that? Or are you putting another identity above that? It's a question we have to ask ourselves when we look upon Moses' example as he went out to be with his people that we too are called to identify primarily with the people of God. The church is our people. Church is who we are. And so we are called to identify with God's people even if it causes persecution, even if it causes pain, even if it causes suffering, that we're willing to say, no, our primary identity is God, and we follow him no matter what. And we see in that choice, when Moses makes that choice, that God prepares him for what is to come Next, because God prepares his people for his plan. But the story takes a little left turn. Kind of gets off the rails a little bit. For Moses, looking upon his people, one of the first things he sees is an Egyptian beating one of his people. And he takes matters into his own hand. And how Stephen in Acts 7 describes is, is basically this idea that he was thinking, hey, I'm the deliverer for God's people, so here is how it's going to start. I'm going to kill this Egyptian, I'm going to gather my guys, and we're going to rebel against Pharaoh, and then God's plan is fulfilled. But yet, as we see there, this is a wrong movement by Moses. And he knows it's wrong. We know he knows it's wrong because what does he do? He looks left and right, and no one is around. Let me just tell you, this is a side note. If you have to look to either side before you do something, chances are you're not supposed to be doing that. And that's what Moses did. He looked around, no one's around, and he kills the Egyptian. And this gives out. It doesn't say hidden, probably because he doesn't know how to dispose of the body. He just buried it in a shallow grave in the sand. But it gets out, and people know it. His people know it. Then Pharaoh knows it. And Pharaoh seeks to kill him because no matter how much he might have been adopted into his family, he was not Egyptian. He was a Hebrew and has now rebelled against the Egyptians. And so he had to flee. Moses thought he was doing God's plan because he said, God's plan is to deliver my people, right? He's going to listen and deliver them. Well, how about I do it? He it took matters into his own hands. He thought he was doing God's will, but God, yes, planned to deliver his people, but God was going to do it. God was going to do it, as we know, as we read Exodus, in a more spectacular way where God gets the credit and no man gets the credit. 
where it's shown that God is holy and keeps his promise, and he doesn't need people to act wrongly on his behalf. So Moses seems to have failed. He was the, it's been building up when you read Exodus, he's the promised deliverer. The one who's going to put in the perfect place. 40 years he's trained under Pharaoh's household to be that perfect stand-in, to stand between his people and the Egyptians, and he was going to lead us out. And now through one rash act, he seems to have thrown it all away. One commentator puts it like this. He says, one rash act, and Moses seems to throw away 40 years of spiritual preparation. Moses was trying to save God's people by his own works rather than letting God save them by grace. It's really that Moses was trying to do what God said he would do. And so he seems to have to be a failure. And he has to flee. And he flees into the desert, into the wilderness, into Midian. And now a nobody. And he can almost imagine that Moses was thinking, well, this is it. I've thrown it away. And this is the rest of my life here as I sit at this well, a shepherd in the land of Midian. But we know the story of Exodus and we know the story of Moses, that God was not done with Moses. And in fact, it was in the desert where God met Moses face to face. And I cannot help but so many of us sometimes feel like Moses at this point. We feel like failures. We feel like people who can't get our act together. We feel like people who have been given so much and God has blessed us and provided us so many opportunities and then we just can't follow through. We feel like people who are running on empty and that we are just failures and now we're just left here wherever we are. And if that's how you feel, I just have to say that God has not abandoned you. And that God is not done with you. Because more often than not, when we see time and time throughout the Bible, as with Moses, as we see time and time with believers, when we are down, when we are out, that is where God shows up to make it clear that you can't do this on your own. You can't manage your life on your own. You can't follow God perfectly on your own. You need Him. And that is when we come to our, the end of our rope, when we come to the, to the end of our own devices, when we think we have failed, that is when God shows up and shows us He is there. He has not abandoned us. He loves us and is working even in our failures to bring us where He wants us to be for His plan. That God prepares His people for his plan. And we see that in Moses' failure because it puts him right where God wants him as now Moses is living in exile in the land of Midian. And we see Moses' character as the story continues. He flees. He goes into this land of Midian in this desert. He sits down at a well. He sees women being mistreated by the other shepherds and stands up to them. And maybe he's learned some restraint because he doesn't kill them like the Egyptian. He just stands up to them and says, hey, let them water their flock. So much so that their father, Rul, who is called the priest of Midian, when they show up, he's like, what is going on? You guys are here awful earlier. The shepherds weren't giving you a hassle. 
And they describe Moses and how he saved them, and he invites them in his household, and he marries Zipporah, one of his, his daughters, and they have a son, Gershom. And you can imagine now here, Moses is like, this is my life. He was content, it said, to now dwell in the land of Midian with this priest, and that was it. The chapter of his life when he was going to lead people out of Egypt seemed to have closed. But when we see this story, we really see a preparation going on with Moses as he's now in this land of Midian. As one commentator put it, um, Moses was 40 years in Egypt learning to be something, 40 years in the desert learning to be nothing, and as we know, as he wandered 40 years within the wilderness with God's people, and 40 years in the wilderness proving God to be everything. So you see this pattern where he's 40 years raised up in Pharaoh's household. And now, as Stephen would go on to say, he's 40 years here in the land of Midian, living a life. And then he leads God's people for 40 years through the desert, proclaiming him as everything. But just look, just think about Moses in this time, and I think you see how God is preparing him. If God's using all these situations that he's in to make him that leader that's now going to be ready to lead his people out of Egypt. Let's think about his living situation. He's in Midian. He is in the desert. He's in actually probably the very desert he's about to lead God's people into. And so he's learning the land. He knows how to live here. He knows how it operates. And he's living there and being trained and, and almost having his own little mini exodus so that he can go up back to God's people and lead them out in the exodus away from Egypt. Is God even using his living situation here to prepare him to be that leader God's people need? Think about his family situation. That Mount Moses is here at being a husband, being a father, being learning how to be that shepherd leader that can manage his own household well so that then he can turn around and manage the people of God's household and lead them. You know, there's a reason that when we read the New Testament, we see these requirements for elders, that one of the requirements in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that an elder can manage his own household. Because as, Timothy, as Paul says, speaking to Timothy, if someone does not manage his own household, how will they care for God's church? In the same way, if Moses can't handle Zipporah and Gershom, how could he lead God's people out of Egypt? And think about his work situation and the irony there. Moses was raised as an Egyptian, and now he finds himself a shepherd. When we read the book of Genesis, when the people of God came into, uh, came into uh, Egypt in the first place, in Genesis chapter 46, verse 34, it makes it very clear, Egyptian, every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now here is Moses, raised in the Egyptian ways, now finds himself being a shepherd. And he was so raised in the ways of, the, of Egypt that when the, priests, uh, the daughters of the priests of Midian talk to their dad, they say, this guy's an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He was an Egyptian, right? And now he is doing the act that's an abomination to the people he was raised with. But then also think about what a shepherd does all day long. Take care of stupid sheep. And what does Moses have to do when he leads God's people out of Egypt? Take care of stupid sheep. And herd them out. 
and entice them out and correct them and love them and lead them in the ways they go. And that in his very work situation, he was being trained to lead people who are stiff-necked and want to go back to Egypt. And that we see how he's being trained in those ways. Same thing is true for us. God prepares us. We might not see it. We might not even realize how he's doing it. But God is preparing us. If we have doubt, we just turn, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It's one of those great statements when, he's talk, when Paul is talking about how we're saved. And he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. And then he goes on, For we are his, God's, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, with God prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. That God prepares us for good works. God prepares us for his plan. That we, those who believe in Jesus Christ, are being prepared. We're his workmanship as he prepares us for what comes next. And so Christians, when they read stories like this and they see God preparing Moses, they say, that is the same thing that's happening with me, that we view life as a preparation. How would that change in how we view life when we say, hey, man, all that stuff I went through and it was hard and I couldn't, it seemed like I couldn't bear it on my own and I didn't know what was going on. How would that change life when you see, obviously it was leading me to be here where I am, to serve, to love, to lead. How would it change life when you're going through that hard time? And you say, I don't know where this is leading me. I don't know how God is going to use this, but he's using this so that in the future I can glorify him. I can, I can do what he has called me to do. Christians, we know this because we can look back in hindsight. We see how God has moved in our lives, preparing us, getting us ready for what is to come. I can see that in my own life. One of the biggest examples is, you know, I, I, went, I, went, to, I went off uh, to seminary at, at Denver Seminary, and I had this one plan. I was coming back to my home church, the church that I was interning at, the home church that kind of said, hey, go to seminary. There'll be a job waiting for you when you get back. That was my, my plan. That's what I was doing. I was coming back every summer. I wasn't even thinking about applying to other churches, and I did that. And it worked out for two and a half years until something did not work out. And all of a sudden, my life seemed to have derailed. And I'm wondering, what is going on? As I'm sitting, we're sitting at a home with one job and the mortgage, and we're like, I don't understand. And yet, the opportunities that came from that, and the growth that came as the next steps opened, as I, I was given the opportunity to be associate pastor here, and then and through these things that happened, now I'm the lead pastor, I can look back on that and say, God was using all of that to prepare me for this now and for the future most likely now chances are we all have those stories when we can look in our lives and we look back and we can see how god has been active and one of the things that bugs us though about that is that it's always on god's timing not on ours just to think about moses 40 years as a Husband, a father, living with the priests of Midian, shepherding sheep, 
40 years until next God showed up and revealed what was going to be next. It's on God's timing, not our own. But we have to have faith and trust in Him. I love how this chapter ends because I think it shows why we have faith. Because God is not absent. You can imagine the Israelites were, the Hebrews were thinking, where was God? In their groaning, in their suffering, in their oppression, they were crying out, God, where are you? And verses 24 and 25 make it clear that God was right there in the midst of it with them. As it says, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I love this. In two little verses, God is described as doing something four times. As he looks upon people, it says, and God heard their groaning, that God knew what they were going through. He heard their prayers. He was listening to his people as they suffered oppression. And then God remembered. It's saying, hey, God knows the promises he's made. He knows the promises he's made with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. He knows how he promised people he's going to take care of them, how he's going to make them a great nation, how he's going to give them this promised land. He knows this. He remembers this. He is a God who keeps his promises. And God saw. He does not miss what we're going through. God sees them. He knows them. And it says God knows. He knows what they're going through. He knows them personally, and he knows what he's about to do. I love this because it puts us back, and we read this whole chapter back in light of these last verses that God was present, that God was preparing his people, that God knew how this was going to end. And the same thing is true for us. That when we're tempted to think that God is not present, when we're tempted to think that God is not active in our lives, we can almost read these two verses and remember our God and who he is. He is a God who hears us. That when we pray to him, when we pray to him through Jesus Christ in Jesus' name, he hears us. He knows what we need. He responds to our prayers. He listens and cherishes us speaking to him. God hears that God remembers, just like he remembers his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he remembers the promises he made to his people. He remembers the promises he made to God's people through Jesus Christ, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. He remembers that. And he is a God who keeps his promise. He is not like a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. No, this is a God who speaks and then acts, who promises and then fulfills. He remembers the promises that he makes through his word to us. And he sees. He knows everything you're going through. Nothing is obscured to him. He sees your life and he knows. He knows you intimately and personally. He knows you better than you know yourself he knows your good things and your bad things. He knows you, and he knows how he's working in your life. And to us who believe in Jesus Christ, he knows how he saved you and how he's bringing you to completion, and that one day you'll stand with him complete. That God hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. Never doubt this. 
that this is the God of the Bible. This is the God that can take Moses' life and use the ups and downs and curves as preparation to lead his people. And he's a God who takes our lives, the twists and turns of what we experience, and uses that for his plan, for our good, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. God's preparing us. So what do we do with that? When we read that, what does that mean for us? There's an old way in which we can think about applications that we think about how it impacts our head, how we think about something, and things about how we impact our heart, how we feel about something, and then it impacts how we, our hands, what we do with it. And so when it impacts our head, when we realize this truth, that it calls us to look upon this God and trust in this God, that we're supposed to call to change our perspective, that we're called to change our perspective of who's in control of this life. It calls us to change our perspective of this great God who's at work and what we're going through. And at first and fundamentally, we change how we view life, that life is preparation, that God is active in it, that he's working in it, and we trust him in it. We change how we view life, and then we change how I feel about it. In our downs and our ups, we change that, and we grab hold of that, and we say we're not leaning on our own understanding and our own understanding of how this life works, but we're leaning on God's word and how he's revealed himself, and we're leaning on his nature and his character and how we can trust him, and we lean on that. And so when we get confused and when our heart feels it, we lean on that and say again, look, to God. Know him and how he loves you and how he has already given your son and he who gave your son, how much more will he give you everything else you possibly could need? And we lean on that. We speak to our heart when we're down and we speak to our heart when we're going through hardship. Look to him and know him. Then our hands, we live with the confidence that we have a God that makes everything meaningful everything purposeful. That when we go through life and we go to work and we're hanging out with our family and we're hanging out with our friends, every minute is rich with purpose. Every minute is God-ordained as he's active in our lives and calls us to be his people. And so we go through life with this, with this confidence, knowing that he is working in us. We go through this life with this purpose, knowing that he's called us to be his people. Wherever we are, we go through life knowing meaning. And we know him and follow him and trust him. That God prepares his people for his plan. As we've seen again and again, and we know that God is preparing us. Join me in prayer. Therefore, Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word that we can open up and read and understand and see a glimpse of you and how you save us, how you love us how you care for us. Lord, I just pray for all of us that we can be firmly convinced, firmly convicted of the truth that you are active in our lives and that that changes everything. Lord, I pray for all of us that we can once again cast our eyes upon you, trust you and know you, look to you when we doubt Look to you when we stumble and fell, knowing you are in the midst of it and that you don't give up on us. Lord, we love you and seek you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being.